Welcome to Pursuing Truth. I'm your host, Barry Watkins. Dazzling display of logic. Yeah, welcome to Pursuing Truth. We want to talk about um, logical fallacies today. Some of the interactions I've had uh, not too long ago in um, on Twitter with some um, theists uh, made me think of some logical fallacies and uh, some of the things that um, I've run into, you know, have to do a lot. A lot of times it's um, circular arguments that you're dealing with, um, especially with religion. Um, for some reason, uh, one one guy I was talking to um, actually, when I brought up the fact that his argument was circular, he even came back and said, well, yes, you're always going to have a circular argument when you're dealing with this uh, sort of thing. And uh, he like made an excuse and said that it was okay to have a circular argument. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What do you think about that? Is a, is a circular argument ever okay? Is is a circular argument ever something that you can build a belief upon? I I don't think so. I think it's a it's a logical fallacy that you really just should never do. It it can't be overcome, as far as I can tell. Um, so an an example. Um, I'll, I'll just use the, the argument uh, that, that I've heard a couple of times recently um, that I think is a circular argument. Um, you know, you hear this all the time uh, where somebody will use the Bible to prove that the Bible is true. You know, they're, they're arguing the existence of God from, you know, pointing at things in the Bible and saying, well, the Bible says blah, 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 therefore... We know that God is real, but um, can you really use the Bible as a proof that the Bible is true? I I don't think so. I think that's circular arguments. You know, it's kind of like um, if you want to prove the existence of Superman by getting out your Superman comic book and saying, see, the Superman comic book says he was born on you know, the planet Krypton and, and flew here. And that's how we know he, he's real, you know, because John and Martha discovered him in the little spaceship there. And that, that's how we know that he really was, you know, from another planet. Okay. So because there are claims made in the New Testament, for instance, about, oh yeah, Jesus gave many proofs that he was raised from the dead. Uh, and that's written in the Bible right there, that, that Jesus showed himself to over 500 people after he was raised from the dead. And this is how we know that it's really true. But it's a book about Jesus. It's, it's the only source we have about Jesus. And I, I just, I question that source. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like... Uh, yeah, it's kind of like using the Superman comic book to explain, yeah, this is how we know Superman is a real person. You know, um, there are some other uh, other types of argumentation that uh, that people give. And, you know, they're uh, like, um, 
a common problem that you'll run into is non sequitur arguments. Non sequitur means it does not follow. Somebody will give, you know, their reasons for believing in God. And um, so uh, someone will cite, okay, they'll, they'll talk about science and they'll say, yeah, um, we know that God created everything because scientists can't create something in a laboratory. They can't create life in a laboratory. Um, they, they can't even create a blade of grass. So how in the world, you know, can you not believe in a creator God? Okay. I'm saying non sequitur. Um, it does not follow the fact that a scientist can't create a blade of grass in a lab does not mean that God is real or that God created the universe. No, there's, there's a infinite number of other explanations that we could probably come up with for the creation of the universe. It really doesn't come down to because scientists can't do this. Well, therefore, we know God is real. No, I'm sorry. It's a non sequitur. It just doesn't follow. You know, there's a there's another one that's been very interesting. Um, some other conversations that I've had recently that um, where somebody uh, pointed to uh, the new birth as proof of God's existence. And they said, oh, yeah, unless you get born again, you won't ever see, you know, God. You won't you won't understand that God is real. But once you're born again, you can't deny it. You know that God's real. And you, um, you know, and they'll point to the scripture and they'll say, look, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will make known to you the things of God. And when he comes into your life, you know God. So that's the proof. You know, because of the fact that you don't have this new birth experience, um, that's not proof that God doesn't exist, they'll say. They'll um, try to turn it back on, you know, the atheist who is saying, yeah, that's not proof of God's existence. And, and the theist who believes this, um, this person, you know, several people have been telling me this. Um, and they, they try to turn it back on me and say, look, just because you haven't experienced it, you can't judge me and tell me that I didn't experience it. So, what kind of logical fallacy is that? I'm not really sure. We'll have to think about that one. But uh, for me, it's definitely um, uh, kind of a sketchy thing there. It's, it's like, okay, um, is it a subjective argument? Yeah, it's definitely a subjective argument. They're not showing me anything concrete. And it's, it's uh, another problem is that it's unfalsifiable. And this is a problem we run into all the time with spiritual things, with things that people claim um, that can't, could never be falsified. They could never be disproven to be true because they're totally subjective. It's like, well, you can't tell me that what I experienced wasn't real. Well, yeah, but you also can't use that as a proof to tell me that it's real because I, that's no proof. We're going to take a short break and be right back. 
welcome back to Pursuing Truth with Barry Watkins. Another fallacy is uh, the straw man fallacy. And uh, this is where somebody puts up a uh, argument um, that's easy to defeat uh, on purpose. And, uh, but the, the straw man argument is not the real argument that, that you have. So, you, you know, let's, let's, uh, I, for example, um, this one guy I was talking to, um, kept going on and on about, oh, materialism means, you know, and I'm a materialist sort of, but, uh, th- this guy said, oh, materialism means that, um, you know, you're just made up of swirling electrons. And, uh, you know, how could that ever produce thought? You know, he was like, how, how could that ever produce a reasoning mind? You know, swirling electrons. And I'm like, well, um, yeah, that, you know, you're, you're leaving out part of the equation, you know, that the swirling electrons, uh, yeah, that that's part of the picture. But, you know, then we've got the fact that uh, materialism, um, you know, from a materialist point of view, evolution um, has occurred, and uh, we have minds because of evolution, because of natural selection. Um, we're not just swirling electrons, you know, randomly swirling around. Um, you know, and that that's one of the things you hear all the time is, uh, oh, if... Uh, if if there is no God, then um, that means that we're just bags of chemicals. You know, I heard that it said, you know, you might as well set a two-liter bottle full of chemicals next to another two-liter bottle full of chemicals and see if they can communicate with each other, see if they can, you know, fall in love with each other, you know, kind of thing. And so uh, this, this guy that was talking about the bags of chemicals, he was saying that... Uh, yeah, if if that were true and we were just a bag of chemicals, then how do you explain love and how do you explain um, rational thought coming from a random collection of chemicals? And I'm like, yeah, it's not a random collection of chemicals, bro. It's uh, <laughs> you're forgetting that we're organized by natural selection. We're not just random particles. We're not just random chemicals. That's not what a naturalist believes. A naturalist is not saying that we're random chemicals. You understand that? It's, yeah. So these logical fallacies we run into all the time. And uh, in the case of the swirling electron guy, I kept really trying with him. I, I kept really working at it, you know, trying to explain it in different ways. And, and he just kept coming back with the swirling electrons like he just didn't want to hear it. You know, he just, you know, he had his ears plugged and just wanted to keep repeating his little joke back to me and laughing about it, you know. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's no way to reason. That's no way to communicate. And um, basically, when somebody starts doing that, um, you can pretty much figure they're done kind of trying to reason and all they want to do is, uh, you know, try to make you... I don't know what they're trying to do at that point because nothing's going to be working. Uh, there's no communication happening. 
It's funny, uh, I remember even reading this from C.S. Lewis one time, and uh, he was supposedly a pretty brilliant guy. I think he was a pretty brilliant guy, but I think he had some misunderstandings about evolution, for one thing, and and uh, one of them became glaringly clear. You know, he used a similar uh, picture of saying that um, materialism is like saying uh, that that materialism says that a mind can be produced from randomness, you know, is kind of like putting a milk can in the back of a truck and driving over a bumpy road and then getting um, a Rembrandt, you know, picture on the side of the truck from the splashing milk, you know, or something like that. He, I don't think he said Rembrandt, but he said something to that effect that it could make a you know, an intelligent map of the world or something on the side of the side of the truck out of sloshing milk. And I'm like, no, that's not at all what materialism says. You know, evolution is the, the thing that he is totally not getting. You know, the fact that natural selection over billions, we're talking billions of years, billions of years, folks, is how long life has been around on the earth. Four billion years, I think, is the estimate. So uh, that's a long time. And chemicals, yes, started out kind of randomly, uh, you know, making different chemical interactions, which eventually led to self-replicating chemicals. We don't know how long of a period of time that it took from, you know, the the random chemicals to actually producing life. But we know that there was a, a certain combination that worked and uh, different chemical reactions actually resulted in abiogenesis so that um, life emerged, but it would have been a very simple life form. And these are things that we're working on understanding some experiments have been successful on this as far as, oh yeah, you can take elements and hit them with electricity and they become, you know, we, we figured out amino acids form when you, you take certain elements that would have been present in the early atmosphere of the earth, you know, stuff like that. And uh, um, this was done way back in the, I believe the 1950s was that experiment where they got amino acids out of it. Well, amino acids are the basic building blocks of life. And um, how those, how you get from there to a self-replicating chemical strand uh, is something that we're still figuring out, but we're getting there. We're figuring out, okay, this, you know, this, you know we, we study things like RNA and viruses, the simplest, you know, um, things that are almost alive, like a virus isn't considered a living thing, but it acts kind of like a living thing, right? And um, so, the uh, but once you get to life, once you get to self-replicating um, life forms, no matter how simple they are, you then begin, you know, it continue, that process continues. And you're talking about billions of years of the types of things that created natural selection at that point. You, you, you start introducing, okay, these things are strengthened by a little randomized change in their uh, 
you know, DNA. And, and the DNA then replicates a new, a new form, a new, a new species. And that, you know, is the, the starting point. But then it gets, it gets more and more exciting as things go. You know, when you, when you talk about evolution, we're talking about randomized changes within a population but then it's natural selection kind of strengthens certain of those randomized traits. Well, random traits then are passed down as the DNA gets replicated, you know, as the cells get replicated, as, as you know, the, um, the life forms continue to produce other, you know, offspring. So the, fa- the idea that it's all a random thing it's not. It, there's some randomness that is happening. And then natural selection starts refining these uh, changes in these life forms. And you, you start getting actual behaviors that are built, you know, that are, that are um, strengthened, behavior traits. And that would be something like, and these are things we can go into into more detail as well, but you've got certain cells that began to be um, photosensitive, you know, um, sensitive to light, and they would actually be attracted to the light. So, and you got the the idea that they could begin to move, you know. Uh, but these these were random kind of traits that helped them to get to their food better and help them, you know, certain offspring survived and thrived and then produced more offspring. It wasn't, you know, so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a process that begins to, uh, to produce some pretty interesting results. And the, the end result of what we've seen so far with evolution is that we, you know, it actually produced um, very complicated life forms because the more complicated they got, and the more specialized these uh, different cells got within, you know, within their bodies, that it helped them to survive better. So it really, one thing does lead to another in this whole um, explanation of things. It's not a random set of things that happen over and over and over and over again that are producing people that are able to, to think or animals that are able to reason. You know, animals have certain reasoning capabilities that we didn't use to recognize, but when we study things, we we understand, okay, it takes um, a certain amount of reasoning ability for, say, a lion to know how to hunt down, you know, a zebra. He has to know where to go and where to hide and and, uh, where these zebra, you know, he has to be able to predict where these zebra are going to migrate and where they're going to go for water and things like that. So there is a thought process that, that goes on in lower forms of animals. And um, it led to our ability to reason as humans because we evolved from lower life forms. You know, when when we deal with reality, um, when we're, when we're uh, trying to make an argument for a case, you know, we're trying to make a case for something that we believe in, you know, it's important to understand what you're talking about. It's important to understand the, the other side of the story, you know, what the other side really does represent, 
you know, when, when we talk about materialism, we talk about evolution, materialistic answers to theism, you know, it, uh, you know, it's a very different reality than what um, somebody like C.S. Lewis was trying to paint. So that's the, uh, that's the straw man fallacy. And um, we see that one all the time too. So um, we need to call people out on it and we need to be able to recognize it when it comes out. And when you see an argument like that, um, you need to know how to recognize it and how to, how to refute it because it really is important that we help people learn how to reason. You know, and, uh, you know, it's important. Um, you know, one of the things that I experienced, and I've talked about this already, is, you know, uh, back when I was a, a strong believer, a Christian, I would take arguments like that and just take it as a, a surface argument that, it, you know, if it agreed with my existing worldview, it agreed with the way that I thought reality really was, then I didn't dig very deeply into that argument. I would just accept it. And it would help strengthen my opinion. You know, if it's something that I already agree with and I hear it, I'm not going to necessarily notice that it's using a fallacy. Uh, if, you don't, if you don't know the details of evolution, how it really works, then you might be tempted to, to believe some of these things when somebody tells you, oh, yeah, you know, are we a random bag of chemicals? How does a random bag of chemicals think? You know, well, we're not a random bag of chemicals. We're, we're a bag of chemicals that have been uh, um, refined and, you know, we've been created into a life form that can think because of natural selection and evolution. Um, billions of years of evolution. Anyway... Just thought I would address some of that, and uh, yeah, I hope uh, <laughs> I hope you can get something out of that, and that uh, that it helps you in your um, in your thinking and in your talking with people. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, at the same time, let's uh, let's hear some more of your favorite crazy arguments that you've heard from people, um, and uh, you know, let let's hear some stumpers too, you know. Why don't you uh, let us know if there's some things that you've heard that kind of tripped you and, and troubled you and said, well, I don't know about this one. How do you, how do you deal with that? Um, send it to us and we'll try, we'll try it out. We'll try to figure it out. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Talk to you soon.